dragnet. The Jack Benny program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. We offer you Escape. Follow Miss Brooks. Suspense. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? WGN Radio Theater. The special three-hour presentation with Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, about seven minutes after 11 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater. It is July 6th. This is program 401. And to my right is the vivacious Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. Or I say 401, but, you know, that's well, how we roll. that's why we are so interesting, because you say one thing and I say the other thing. But right. we're both right. Not true. <laughs> Only one of us is right. Uh, and we have two very special guests in the studio. Would you like to introduce your parents to the world? I would. My mom and my dad are here visiting the studio. They've been here before, but it's been a while. So I'm excited to have them Say here hi. with us. So uh, if you're if you're at a computer and you want to watch live, you can take a peek at my mom and my dad. Yeah, there you go. Hi, Bob. And hi, Alice. Hi, Talk guys. right I'm into just, the microphone. I'm just going to call We're, Mom and Dad. Yeah, Mom, Mom and Dad are good, and we're happy to be here. And they're going to play the game with us along with a listener? They sure are. All right, well, we have the story of Dr. Kildare to start things off. Then it's Fibber, McGee, and Molly, and then I was a communist. For the FBI, that's a, uh, I guess that's a confession. I was a communist for the I FBI. I always knew there was something about you, Carl. Yeah. And uh, we're going to play our game, Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous, brought to you by Cat's Bride. And who's the celeb? Yes, the celebrity is Sally Field, one okay. of my personal favorites. You like me. You actually like me. You know, I'm going back She'll to the Flying Nun here. She so will never live that time. I go back to the Flying Nun with and Sally Gidget. Field. She was Gidget and also. She was. Yeah. And we're going to be giving away a pair of lawn tickets to Ravinia on July 20th. 21st. All right. So we're going to go with caller number three. So call right now, 312-981-7200, and we'll be right back. Come on, baby. So we have Mary on the phone to play a little Real or Ridiculous with us. Hey, Mary. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Good. I'm well, great. you are I'm picking up my son from work. Oh, well, that's a nice mom because it's awfully late to be <laughs> to be out there. Um, and uh, you are caller number three. So congratulations. Oh, You're already a winner. But we'll play a little real or ridiculous. Hi, Mary. Hi. How are you? All right. I'm ready to play. All right. She's going to win tickets to uh, Ravinia? She sure is, All but right. we'll get to that. Okay. okay. This is about Sally Field number one. Mm-hmm. Her first real acting job was the part of Gidget in 1959. Real or ridiculous? What do you think, Mary? That's real. Real? Dad? I yeah. think that's real also. Mom? I'm with real. All right, Carl? Real. We got four correct answers. That is absolutely real. And that's our sound effect. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do we win a prize, too? I'm so sorry you do not. It's all about Mary Mary. tonight. (laughs) Can't we share it with Mary? You'll have to ask her. (laughs) Number two. I like that. (laughs) She received the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actress for the television miniseries Sybil. Real or ridiculous? 
Who's going first, Mary? Mary. One more time. Sure. She received the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actress for the television miniseries Sybil. Real or ridiculous? What do you think, Mary? I think ridiculous. Dad? I agree with Mary. I think she sounds smart, doesn't she? Yes. Mom, Mary knows what she's saying. I think ridiculous, too. I'm going to go against the grain Uh here, and I'm going to say real. Uh, As much as it pains me to say this, it is real. (laughs) Here's for all you guys. Here's for all you. Here's for all you guys. And here's for moi. (laughs) That hurt me just a little bit. Okay, number three. She appeared on the cover of the March 1986 issue of Playboy magazine. Real or ridiculous? Mary, you're up. Uh, I think she was pretty conservative. I'm going to say ridiculous. All right. Dad? Well, I I tend to agree with Mary. It's ridiculous. You don't remember that issue? No. (laughs) (laughs) She's not one for the cover of Playboy. All right. She just read the articles. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I used to say also. Mom? I guess ridiculous. I'm going against the grain. (laughs) And I am going to say she was on the cover of Playboy magazine. Well, Carl's been doing his homework because he is absolutely correct. Uh-oh. And unfortunately, Here's you for shouldn't you be guys. listening to Mary. Here's for you guys. <laughs> oh, man, I'm on a roll. All you three. You sure are. Wow. Uh, Mary, you are a winner no matter what Carl says or does around here. And you've won a pair of lawn tickets to Ravinia on July 21st to see Ghostbusters celebrating its 35th anniversary with the score played live by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And you can join our very own Dean Richards, who will lead a pre concert discussion. Everybody else, you can get your tickets at ravinia.org. But, uh, Mary, I hope you have a great night under the stars at Ravinia. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for playing. All right. She's a big winner. Mary is going to Ravinia, and she's going to have a lot of fun. And uh, we have a text in line, folks. We love getting your text. It's 312-981-7200. Text Lisa. Because she only said she had a half-hour nap. You had a half-hour nap? Today? Oh, I'm, I'm good to go, So Carl. by like 11.45. Oh, I'm getting pictures of beautiful kitty cats and all sorts of all things. Right. Keep so Lisa uh, keep them up. up. <laughs> Let's keep Lisa up tonight. Yeah, I'll see what Text I can do about her, that. And her lovely parents are here, and uh, they're going to give you a critique at the end of the show, so Lisa. So you better do... You better. All right. I'm on my best behavior, apparently, according right. to those around me. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, we have the story of Dr. Kildare to start things off. Remember this was a television show? Remember, remember. Uh, Richard Chamberlain mm-hmm. on, on television? But it started on radio. And this is my mom's favorite, this show and Life with Luigi, my mom's two favorite shows. And she's listening. She loves the story of Dr. Kill. I called her and told her, Mom, don't miss the first show, Story of Dr. Kildare. Medical drama based on the characters made popular by a series of MGM medical dramas. And Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore played the uh, lead roles of uh, Dr. Kildare and Dr. Gillespie on in the movies and also on radio. And we have a broadcast for you now from October 12th. 1951. This is called Dr. Gillespie's Testimonial Dinner. Here's Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore, part one now of the story of Dr. Kildare. The story of Dr. Kildare. 
Whatsoever house I enter, there will I go for the benefit of the sick. And whatsoever things I see or hear concerning the life of men, I will keep silence thereon, counting such things to be held as sacred trusts. I will exercise my art solely for the cure of my pain. The story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer brought you those famous motion pictures. Now this exciting, heartwarming series is heard on radio. In just a moment, the story of Dr. Kildare. Now the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Blair General Hospital, one of the great citadels of American medicine. A clump of gray-white buildings planted deep in the heart of New York. A nerve center of medical progress where skilled hands and great minds wage man's everlasting battle against death and disease. Blair General Hospital, where life begins, where life ends, where life goes on. Morning, Jimmy. Oh, hi, sweetie. Well... Everything's all right now, and my day has begun. You've been working for hours. Ah, but not living. Well, thank you, sir. <laughs> what have you got there, Angel? Seven case histories, all for you, with the compliments of the chief diagnostician. Dr. Gillespie, the old son of a gun. What's he doing? Oh, he kept about the same number for himself. Sure he did. Picked out the interesting cases and sent me the calls. I've seen him operate before. Well, he ought to have some privileges after all these years. Oh, I know. I'm just kidding. Why, with 35 years staff service as of next week and being the greatest diagnostician, he ought to have all the privileges. Well, he could have them, too, if he wanted. Yes. I think the Board of Regents lies awake nights worrying for fear he'll retire. Mm. Carew has nightmares about it, too. Do, do you think he'll be surprised by the testimonial dinner Friday night? Mm, I doubt if anything would really surprise Dr. Gillespie, but as far as I know, he hasn't heard about it anyway. Unless Parker's found out. I know. I like Parker, but she's such a gossip. <laughs> everything she hears goes right through her head and out her mouth, with no pause for station identification. <laughs> That's why she hasn't been told. Oh, of course, it'll ruin everything. Oh, I know. Dr. Gillespie's a hard man to surprise, but I think the dinner Friday night will do it. Dr. Gillespie, I don't have the faintest notion of what you're talking about. Oh, confound it, Parker. Of course you know. You know everything that goes on around this hospital, whether it's any of your business or not. Well... A rumor wouldn't have a chance of getting past those flapping ears uh, of yours. Oh! Not to mention that long, snoopy nose. Oh! I have asked you a simple question, Parker, and you're just a simple-minded moron to give me a simple answer. I've told you three times already I have not heard any rumors about you, and if you won't tell me what kind of rumors, then you can All just... right, all right, all right. All right, all right, now. Uh, the rumor is that the board is planning to retire me next week. Retire you? Not so loud. Ten to one, that pipsqueak Carew's behind it. But they can't do that. I am six years over age. Of course they can't. Oh, but they wouldn't. Why, it's the last thing in the world. They, you mm. know, come to think of it, they might at that. Parker, stop grinning. If you think for a minute you're going to get out from under my thumb... Why, sir, help me... Help. Oh, good morning, Dr. Kildare. Good morning, Parker. Dr. Gillespie, I want to pick up my medical kit. 
I have seven new ward patients this morning. Oh, really, Jimmy? As if you didn't know. <laughs> to be sure, yes. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. Jimmy, uh, have you happened to hear any interesting rumors around the hospital this morning? Rumors? No, can't say that I have. No wild, fantastic stories? Nothing out of the ordinary at all? No, same old stuff. Hmm. Well, better get on with my rounds. Uh... Oh, oh, by the way, Dr. Gillespie, have you made any plans for Friday evening? Friday? No. No, as a matter of fact, I haven't. Why? The no, Board of Regents is calling a special meeting. Special meeting? Yes, I thought we might attend together. Well, I, uh... Well, you know I never go to board meetings, Jimmy. Might be a good idea to go to this one, though. It starts at 8 o'clock, incidentally. Special meeting, huh? Mm -hmm. I don't suppose you, uh, uh, have any idea what it's all about. No, I guess we'll find out when we get there. Huh. Well, see you later. Uh... You were right, Dr. Gillespie. That's what they're going to do. Retired. Thrown on the scrap heap. Cast aside like an old hot water bottle. Well, I guess they realize that you aren't getting any younger. I never felt better in my life. Why, I can out-diagnose any other three doctors in this hospital. By the tarnation, I'll prove it to them. Calling Dr. Berman. Please come to surgery at once. Dr. Berman, come to surgery. Oh, uh, Dr. Hilde. Um... Morning, Doctor. Uh, could I speak to you a moment? Sure. What can I do for you? Well... <clears throat> I know you and Dr. Gillespie have always been very close, and I wanted to ask you something about him. What do you mean? Well, I wondered whether you'd noticed anything about his actions during the last two days that might be considered, uh, well, uh, shall we be frank? Well, let's do. <clears throat> then we'll say his actions have been uh, odd. Eccentric? Quite. Well, I suppose that's frank enough. And as a matter of fact, Dr. Crewe, I've been too busy to pay much attention to him. Well, I can assure you, Dr. Gildare, that his manner is very, well, odd, quite. Mm. Why, for one thing, he's going to work now at 7.30 in the morning. What? Why, he hasn't started office hours before 9 or 9.30 for years. Precisely. Oh, I tell you, there's... Oh, dear. Here he comes. <laughs> As I was saying, Dr. Hillier, we're planning to paint the south wing a uh, light mauve and the uh, east Good morning, wing. Jimmy. Good morning. Good morning. Carew, <laughs> you sleepyheads. Huh? Tried to find both of you at 8 o'clock this morning, but there wasn't a soul stirring. Except me, of course. Well, 8 o'clock is a little early, Dr. Gillespie. Early? Why, I've already done a full day's work, and here it is, only lunchtime. Which is a good suggestion, by the way. How about joining me? Oh, sorry, Jimmy, sorry. I'd just grab a quick sandwich and then use the time to work off my excess energy. Excess energy? I wish I had some. I'll tell you the secret. <laughs> a pound of rare steak at 6.30 in the morning. What? There's nothing like it. After an hour's brisk walk... You're doing that? Oh, yes. You're following my cold shower, of course. Oh, dear. 
Don't even talk about cold shower early in the morning. Why, I've got more energy, physical and mental, than I had 20 years ago. Hey, uh, it's lunchtime, Doc. Uh, I mean, sir. Oh, so it is, Wayman, so it is. Well, I'm ready any time you are. Wayman, today I'm going to beat the pants off you. Yeah? Well, you didn't do so hot yesterday. Well, my feet kept slipping. <laughs> but I went out this morning and bought some bowling shoes. Bowling shoes? Is that how you're spending your lunch hour? Yes, Jimmy, yes, yes, yes. Man keeps in trim, you know. Healthy, alert. Come on, Wayman. See you later, boys. Boys? Oh, dear. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Beginning to see what you meant, Dr. Guru. I don't know what it's all about, but it is uh, interesting. Just picked up the morning hall, Jimmy. Here are five new cases for you. Only five? Lightest check-in in a long time. Well, there were 17 altogether, but I'm handling the other 12 myself. Oh, I see. Oh, good morning, Miss Bernard. Good morning. I didn't mean to ignore you. It's all right, Dr. Gillespie. I've noticed how busy you've been this week. <laughs> Merely evidence of a well-known medical fact, young lady. A man my age frequently gets a second wind... And he's good for 20 years more work. Well, watching you, I can believe it. Gotta run, Jimmy. All right, sweetie. See you. Oh, wow. Wonderful girl, Jimmy. (laughs) Why, if I were 10 years younger... 10? Well, that's the way I feel. Well, it's something I've been meaning to take up with you. Huh? You know, if I were your doctor, I'd uh, I'd advise you to slow down a little. Take it easy. Ah, ridiculous. I never felt better. Oh, come now. Sooner or later, everyone reaches an age when he has to retire. I won't retire. Of... Oh, no, no. I mean retire from participating in some of the more strenuous activities that a younger person might. Ah, nonsense. Uh, maybe. I've heard you give the same advice to many elderly patients. Elderly? Anyway, let's leave it for the present. Hmm. We can talk about it this evening at the special board meeting. Board meeting? Uh-huh. We're still planning to have it then. Well, sure, why not? Oh, no reason at all, Jimmy, no reason at all. Why shouldn't they have it? That's the way they feel. All right, the first portion of the story of Dr. Kildare from 1951, Dr. Gillespie's testimonial dinner. Lou Ayres and Lionel Barrymore. We'll get back to it in just a few minutes. Please salute our brave men and women fighting overseas for their support of the USA. This salute from City Pool Hall, located at 640 West Hubbard Avenue in Chicago. Stop by for the best games of pool or call 312-491-9690. 312-491-9690. That's City Pool Hall on the air saluting our troops. All right, after the news, It's the conclusion to the story of Dr. Kildare. Then after that, it's a 1939 broadcast of Fibber, McGee, and Molly. And then a 1952 episode of I Was a Communist for the FBI, starring Dana Andrews. Don't miss that. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolfe. All right, it is 1134. Thanks, David. We are here till 2 o'clock in the morning with all your favorite classic radio shows. Then we'll be back here again tomorrow at 11 p.m. with more classic radio till 1. 
We have five hours on the air here every single weekend playing the Golden Age of Radio Favorites, Suspense, The Shadow, Boston Blackie, The Whistler, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, My Favorite Husband, which is Lisa's favorite show. And tomorrow night, Sunday night, we've got The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and Information, Please. I know a lot of people are asking questions about Information, Please. All right, well, we have... We uh, have all the answers. We always have radio favorites for you here, Saturdays and Sundays, beginning at 11 p.m. But right now, it's time for the conclusion to the story of Dr. Kildare. I know exactly how you feel, Dr. Gillespie, and I'm very sorry for you, but after all, what can I do about it? Ah, you're just as ungrateful as that board of regents. Here I've nearly killed myself all week long trying to show them I'm fit for something beside retirement. But do they care? No. Shut up! No, they don't care. They're still going to hold their confounded meeting tonight, sit there and gloat while I'm drummed off the staff. Oh, yes, it's all so dramatic. Just, just like the movie. Ah, Parker, confound it. If I were flat on my back and dying... You'd stand there and say it was just like the... Mm. What's the matter? Now, if they thought I was ill, dying maybe, why, they might call the whole thing off. Huh? Of course they would. Why, that they wouldn't have the heart to retire a man who was only one step from death. Oh, hello, Dr. Kildare. I say, Dr. Gillespie, I was wondering... Uh, What's the matter with you? Uh, huh? Oh, terrific pains, Jimmy. Oh, really? Where? Oh, heart, lungs, oh, liver. Uh, well, we better get you to bed and check you over. Oh, it came on suddenly, Jimmy. Serious, I'm afraid. Oh, I'm sorry about the Board of Regents tonight. Oh, yes. Well, I'd better let Carew know. Uh, Then we'll get to work on you. See what you can do for him, Parker. I know what I can do for him. You phony. Shut up, Parker. Uh, This is Kildare, Dr. Carew. Dr. Gillespie has just been taken ill. Can I get something for you, Dr. Gillespie? Oh, what a lousy act. No, I don't know how serious it is yet, but I thought you'd want to know in, in regard to the meeting tonight. Just let me lie here in the chair, Parker. Mm-hmm. Yes. Back me up or I'll murder you. Oh, fine, Dr. Carew. I think that'll work out very well. All right, goodbye. Well, that takes care of that. Uh, uh Jimmy, I'm sorry about the meeting. Oh, that's all right. They're calling it off. Oh, they shouldn't have done that, Jimmy. Oh, it'll work out all right. You see, Carew's postponing it until next Tuesday. There's one more, Jimmy. The Jenkins case. Jenkins. Oh, yes, yes. Let's see. Exploratory information of external biliary fistula scheduled for surgery tomorrow morning. General preoperative condition good. Prognosis favorable. All right. And that's the last one. <sighs> good. I hate reports. Jimmy, what's the prognosis for us? Hmm? No. Very favorable. Is that all? Excellent, then. That's better, Doctor. <laughs> Has anyone ever told you that you're very lovely? 
Oh, yes, nearly all the interns. So that's what's been going on behind my back. Daily, every hour in the hour. Well, it's got to cease. Yes, Jimmy. Drastic measures seem to be in order. Yes, Jimmy. And I only know of one sure way to put a stop to it. Yes, Jimmy. Good morning, Dr. Kildare, Miss Werner. Come in, Dr. Carew. Uh, Thank you very much. Though, of course, I have him. So you are. I guess I'd better take these reports to the office, Dr. Kildare. Mm -hmm. What was your opinion again on that last case? Oh, uh, prognosis terrific. Mm-hmm. See you later. I can't say I've ever heard that expression before. Prognosis terrific. You're not likely to again, Dr. Crewe. Anything I can do for you? Well, frankly, I'm very concerned about Dr. Gillespie. Oh, he's feeling much better today. I couldn't find anything wrong with him, in fact. I, I think he probably just strained some muscles with all this athletic activity he's gone in for. And that's precisely what I'm concerned about, Dr. Gilder. In what way? I wonder if it might not be a good idea for Dr. Gillespie to retire. Retire? Well, now that's odd. He mentioned the same subject himself a few days ago. Really? Of course, he seemed highly opposed to the idea, but that might be just a cover-up. Cover-up? Uh, I don't follow you. Well, he's talked about retiring for years, you know, and I've never taken him seriously. Maybe he now, he really wants to retire, but feels he has a duty to the hospital. Certainly developed a lot of non-medical interests lately. Oh, he has. Well, if that's true, we could make the testimonial dinner a retirement dinner... As much as I'd hate. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll talk to him, try to find out. Subtly, of course. Well, all right. But I wonder now if... No, just it... sit tight, keep your gardenia watered. I'll let you know. Oh, of course I feel all right, Jimmy. There was nothing really wrong with me in the first place. Except... Well... Touch of overwork, maybe. Certainly not. No, no, no. I am perfectly capable of turning out as much work as I ever could. Then maybe it was a combination, like too much bowling, brisk walks, cold showers, rare steaks. Ah, ridiculous. I was merely conducting an experiment, Jimmy. I see. Uh, Dr. Gillespie, have you thought much lately about uh, retiring... (gasps) By the great horn spoon. Oh, I know you have a strong loyalty to Blair, but mm. after all, your reputation as a diagnostician has made this hospital. Uh, you don't owe your whole life to it. You too, Jimmy. I guess you feel the same way as the others, hmm? that I've slipped into my dotage and ready for the scrappy. Now, oh, hold it a second. I don't see that retirement automatically means senility. Hmm. But perhaps it is time you started thinking of yourself for a change. Mm. Well, look what happened last week. You overdid it for a few days and wound up here in bed. You're just not as young as you were once. By the tarnation. So that's their reasoning. The morons. Hmm? Confounded, backfired, the vultures. Don't know what you're talking about. I should have stayed with the first plan. Parker! Parker! What happens, Dr. Gillespie? Stop shouting like that. You're a convalescent. You're an idiot. Well... Parker, phone the garage and have Wayman come right up here. Wayman? Well, what do you want him it's for? It's none of your business. Get out of here. Oh. Snoopy. Oh, well. Well, there's still a little fight in the old man, Jimmy. So help me, I'll show him yet. Show who what? Plans, experiments, backfires, a little more of this, and I'll be as eccentric as you are. Who says I'm eccentric? I do. <laughs> Thank you.
Dr. Gillespie, but I simply don't get it. Parker, you never get it. Well, I guess I'm not so stupid. Parker, you idiot. I shouldn't have changed plans. I think I'd almost convinced him that I still possess the full vigor of alertness of youth. Well, you didn't convince me. Oh, what do you know about youth? I think one last desperate measure may do the job. Well, it must be desperate if you plan to use Wayman for it. If there's one human being who's a direct descendant of a chimpanzee, Wayman's it. Somebody mention my name? Oh. Oh, come in, Wayman. Come in, come in. Come in, shut the door. Yes, I was just telling Parker that you're the only man with the right qualifications for a little project of mine. Well, thanks, Doc. I mean, sir, I've always tried to keep myself mental fit. Mental fit, huh? (laughs) Well, that does explain your personality. Yeah, I'm a great guy for pinball games and tic-tac-toe, yeah, mental-type stuff. Well, the qualifications I had in mind are slightly different. Hmm? One is the fact that you like to make a fast buck. <laughs> you said it. Yeah. The other is your lack of inhibitions about prevarication. Oh, what you said. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I want to get mixed up in nothing like that. Well, huh? What I mean is you don't mind telling a lie if there's money in it. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, why didn't you say so? Wayman, I, uh, I think we understand each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure we do. Uh, What's your proposition, Doc? Doc, sir, help me. If I didn't need you, I'd... Well, misery, politics, and retirements make strange bedfellows. (laughs) Yeah. Wayman, have a cigar. can't understand what's keeping him, Dr. Kildare. We really ought to leave in a few minutes now. Oh, you'll be along, Dr. Carew. He knows he's supposed to meet me here in your office. But since he thinks it's just a board meeting and nothing else, he he may not even bother to come. I think he will, Diana. I tried to keep stressing the importance of the meeting without tipping him off that it's actually a dinner in his honor. I'm sure he'll be here, though. Well, in view of his erratic behavior the past week, I wouldn't be surprised at anything he might do. He has acted strangely. I can't quite understand what it... Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, good evening. Miss Werner, you're looking charming. That's much too lovely a gown for a board meeting. Thank you, Dr. Gillespie. (laughs) Sorry to be a couple of minutes late, boys. But I didn't bother with the elevator. I walked up. You walked? Twelve floors? Oh, it's all a matter of constitution. Wine improves with age, you know. Well, let's go on into the boardroom. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, the meeting's being held over at Fontaine's Restaurant, Dr. Gillespie. There's a taxi down there. Fontaine's Restaurant? Yes. By the tarnation, that's the last straw. What do you mean? I had no idea I'd have to face this humiliation in a public place. What are you talking about? I am a tired old man, Crew, and I can't go on with the act. Go ahead, then. Throw me out. Kick me in the teeth. But don't ask me to be present while you do it. Oh, dear, 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 dear. He's finally gone off his rocker. All right, Dr. Carew. I guess we'd better call off the surprise. Dr. Gillespie, this isn't a board meeting. It's a testimonial dinner to celebrate your 35 years with Blair Hospital. What? You you mean I'm not being retired? I hope not for many years, Dr. Gillespie. Of course, we have wondered about some of your actions recently. Grossly exaggerated, Carew. Nothing at all to those rumors you heard. Rumors? But I did actually see some things myself. Misinterpreted, Carew. Merely a little experiment of mine. Well, 
The board members will be very happy to hear it. Mm. Uh, things had got back to some of them. Oh, uh, <laughs> there you are, Doc. I, I mean, sir, I'm ready to pay off. Here's your ten bucks. Get away, Wayman, you bother me. Boy, I sure never would have thought you could do it. Do what, Wayman? Now, Jimmy, he doesn't know. Hey, you see, he... the doc and me has been bowling every day, and he's been taking me regular. Wayman. Rolls oh. 240s, 250s, I didn't have no chance, so I cooked up this here race. Wayman. 30 laps around the garage on roller skates. What? Dr. Gillespie. There's nothing to it, Carew. He's a pathological liar. He beat me by six laps. Wayman, get out of here. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but you said to tell him... Get to... out of well, here! Well, uh, sure, uh, sure, Doc. I mean, yes, sir. No, uh, uh, yes, sir. Another backfire, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what either of you is talking about. I don't know what any of you are talking about. You know, when you come right down to it, neither do we. Come on, let's go to the party. And so, in closing, ladies and gentlemen, I wish to assure you again of my appreciation for the things you said, the sentiments you expressed, and to the distinguished members of the board for their fine gift of this handsome gold watch. Thank you. Nincompoop. Distinguished nincompoops, Dr. Gillespie. Thank you, Dr. Gillespie. And now, immediately following the demitasse, we are to be favored by another number from the string quartet. <laughs> gold watch. Look at the thing, Jimmy. Thirty-five years of my life spent here, and all they can come through with is a cheap gold-plated watch with an engine on it. No, no, no. It's the sentiment that counts, you know. Sentiment. You'll love it. All right, Jimmy. Maybe I do. Maybe I do. Well, you certainly deserve it, Dr. Gillespie. This hospital could never repay what you've done for it. Miss Werner, your generosity is only exceeded by your beauty and charm. Well, maybe you have grown 20 years younger. No, no, Jimmy. No, no. This last week has been sheer murder. <laughs> you know something, sweetie? What, Jimmy? We could stand up, walk about five steps, open that door, and we'd be out on the terrace. Uh-huh. And we could close the door and... Jimmy? Yeah. Then what? Darn if I know. Let's go find out. You have just heard the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore. This program was written by Les Crutchfield and directed by William P. Russo. Original music was composed and conducted by Walter Schumann. Supporting cast included Virginia Gregg, Ted Osborne, Georgia Ellis, and Ed Max. Dick Joy speaking. That's a story of Dr. Kildare from October 12, 1951, Dr. Gillespie's testimonial dinner, Lou Ayres and Lionel Barrymore. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. Drivers, please stay alert when driving in all of our child-filled areas. Arrive alive, don't text and drive. This message is courtesy of Fisk, Cart, Cats, and Regan. For information on the services they provide, call 312-726-1833. 312-726-1833. Fisk, Cart, Cats, and Regan is on the air reminding everyone to arrive alive, don't text and drive. You know, there's a rumor going around. Uh-oh, there's a lot of them. There's a <laughs> big rumor 
that we're going on a cruise. Oh, I've heard that rumor. Is it actually going to happen? Yeah, we're going on a cruise, and we're taking all of our listeners with, I hope. Well, that sounds like a good cruise. I don't know if the ship could handle all of our listeners. I don't know if it it can handle you. It only holds 650 passengers. Mm. So it's a very intimate ship, 650 passengers. There's 450 workers on the ship, so you get great service. The food is amazing. It's Oceana Cruises, and we're going on... The insignia, right? That is true. We're going for. I don't seven. have any of my notes in front of me. Lisa, yeah, you've so got that covered. Top of this my is head. the insignia, completely reimagined ship, and we're going to be leaving August first of twenty twenty. Right. So that's a year from August, like yeah. thirteen months Plenty from of now. Time for so you plan to ahead. Um, and I feel like if we're going, it's going to be fun. No matter what, it's going to be fun. I'm trying to tell my parents that, but they're not listening to me. We're going to Bermuda, so we're going to go to St. George. And we're going to Hamilton, or Scott, uh, Scott, as Carl calls it, St. Hamilton. <laughs> My name is Scott now? I'm so sorry. Scott Amari. That sounds better than Calamari. I'm so sorry. Right? I, At least it's not an hors d'oeuvre. I don't know why I called you that. Let's just let that go. Anyways, um, <laughs> not only are we are going to enjoy some of the history Scott of Bermuda. Amari. <laughs> let me think about this for a while. I just said to let it go, and you keep bringing it up. Scotty. Are you done? Scott. We're what talking other? about Bermuda. Oh, okay. Okay. So not only are we going to go for the pink sand beaches and the waters and the fascinating history of Bermuda, but we also have a beautiful ship that we're going to be on. It's got um, a casino, which I know you're excited about. Um, But besides that... I can lose money at a casino with the best of them. I bet you can. Um, we're going to be hosting a cocktail party. We're going to have trivia contests. And this is really exciting. We're going to have auditions um, to get a starring role in our very own onboard radio live reenactment show. Yeah, I would so, say about eight or nine or ten people will be in that. Um, so we'll I feel like, like it's a combination of the history of Bermuda yeah. and enjoying the islands and this beautiful luxury ship and a lot of classic radio fun with Carl and with me. So I think it's going to be a winner. You know, your parents were telling me they've gone on Oceana's uh, cruises before, like, what, a half a dozen or so of them? More than that, even. Right. They love So what's Oceana. great about Oceana? Why Why do you choose well, that line? They have the best of food. They have the best oh, of right. service. The uh, it's, it's They have great ports. And uh, and that's what we did. We, we decided they, to choose the best of the best. They have a show every night, a lot of entertainment. And there's a lot of, uh, because they have so many people per, per person, you get great service, right? Correct. Great service. Yeah, and the food is great, right? Well, they are food connoisseurs, I know. so <laughs> I can't comment. It's the best the food best. on the on the seas. Really? Yeah. See, that's that you sold me right there because that's, that's why all I, it takes that's why I go food? on these cruises <laughs> just because for good food? the food. Yeah, well, it has to be more than just the food. Well, you can get good food here that's in Chicago. That's number one but, for me. Um, but there's great food, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be really special because Carl will be there and I will be there. Yeah. So we're doing this through Keen Luxury Travel, and I'm going to give you their phone number. Well, wait a minute. Before you even do that, 
I think because we have a group booking, we got a super rate. Well, I was going to I mean, like an that. incredible rate. All right, go ahead and tell us what it is. I think it starts at only like eleven ninety nine per person. That is true. I mean, that's crazy. Um, that's seven nights. We only no. got that deal because we have a group. Yeah. So we really need a group to come with us, and we're going to make this uh, work. We're doing this through Keen Luxury Travel. I'm going to give you their phone number. It's 800 856 1155. That's 800 856 1155. Or you can just go to our website, WGNRadioTheater.com, and you can scroll through. There's a banner on there for. Uh, for our cruise, and you can click on it, and you get all the information that way just as well. And um, we're really excited about it, so we hope that you are too. Yep. Roger said if um, he goes, he'll carry our luggage, he said. Yeah. yeah. So that would be good. That would be great. We need someone to do that. Roger, what I don't, do you think? Roger, I, I, they're David, talking about I you. I pack light, too. It's oh, only you gonna do be, know? Roger, it's only oh, going to be like... He said he, said he knows. Okay. He hears you. Roger, it's only be like 12 or 13 bags for me. I pack light. I need one bag... Like for each or, leg, <laughs> so it's it won't be that difficult for you. I don't mind carrying your bags as long as you're in one of them. <laughs> I'm half in the bag. I'm, I'll tell I'm, you that. I'm good with that, Roger. All right, we'll, we'll just well, keep them in the bag. Good to me. So August first of next year, 2020. So we'll be talking about it more, but um, mark your calendars, check it out, but and book uh, early. We want you to book early yeah. because. We, we have a limited space, so we want all of our listeners to go with us, but not all can because it's only, um, only holds 650 people. Well, let's see what we can do for you. <laughs> no, we're going to have a small group. I think we're going to maybe have like maybe 40 people, something like that. It won't be that big of a group. I don't know, Carl. Yeah. I mean, we'll let's go crazy. Yeah. All right. You never know. Well, there you go. Check it all out. Click on that banner that's on our website, WGNRadioTheater.com. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Drivers, please stay alert when driving in all of our child-filled areas. Arrive alive, don't text and drive. This message is courtesy of Fisk, Cart, Cats, and Regan. For information on the services they provide, call 312-726-1833. 312-726-1833. Fisk, Cart, Cats, and Regan is on the air reminding everyone to arrive alive, don't text and drive. All right. In this hour, it is Fibber, McGee, and Molly, Jim and Mary and Jordan starring... From 1939, then our next hour, it's I Was a Communist for the FBI, starring Dana Andrews. But right now, it's time for our game. Is it real or is it ridiculous? Yes, the celebrity is one of my all-time favorites, Dick Van Dyke. All right. That's a good one. We yeah. all see brings a smile to our face when we think sure. about him. And we are going to be giving away a pair of lawn tickets to Ravinia on July 21st. I have a streak going, you know. A streak? Yeah. I thought you meant you were streaking. No, I don't. You want a streak? I stopped that like three weeks ago. Well, that's good. Just do it on your own time. You know. <laughs> not, not a good visual for me. <laughs> I have three in a row here. Three streaks in a row? No, I have all three right I told you, I don't want to see you streaking. I wonder what's going to happen this hour here. Me too. Am I going to get three more rights? I highly doubt that. All right. All right. So we're going to have a caller. We're going to ask for caller number five to play Real or Ridiculous. You can call right now, 312-981-7200. Call now. We'll play the game. We'll be right back. Come on, baby. Let's get ridiculous. And we have Don on the phone to play the game. Hey, Don. Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Good. Glad you made it through. And uh, hopefully you know a few things about Dick Van Dyke. We'll we'll learn together. He's awesome. 
Yeah, he sure is. All right, number one. During the 1940s, he was a radio DJ in Atlanta, Georgia. Real or ridiculous? That's real. Dad? I'll go along with that, too. I think it's real. Mom? I think it's real, too. Carl? I, I know he was a radio DJ, but you probably changed. It's probably not Atlanta, Georgia. It's probably somewhere else. That's how she does it. So I'm going to go against the grain, and I'm going to say it's not Atlanta, Georgia. It's somewhere else. I, I feel like he's been playing with me just a little too long because everything he said is true. He was a radio DJ. It was not in Atlanta, Georgia, but it was in Danville, Illinois. Huh? So Carl See? has read my brain, unfortunately. Wow. And here's for you guys. All right. Don, here Carl, we go. Carl, you're a hero. Oh, row. he is not a hero. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> um, after a few guest appearances on the long-running comedy variety series, The Carol Burnett Show, he became a regular on that show. Is that real or ridiculous? Ridiculous. I'll buck the trend. I think it's real. Um, I think it's ridiculous, too. It's ridiculous. It's real. Good oh, job. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It is he real. was never on the Carol Burnett show. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he was. was. Apparently he Dick was. Dick Van Dyke? Yes, yeah. he was. On the Carol Burnett show? I promise show? I couldn't make this stuff up, Carl. Don, what do you, you think know, about he, Whenever that? he gets it wrong, Don? he always questions me every time. Give me credit for one, I at believe, least. I believe what he said. Thank yeah? you. All right. Well, okay. Here's for... Here's for... Whoever Mr. got it Matanky. wrong. Here's for Mr. Matanky. Hang on a second. <laughs> and did you get it right, Alice? No, no. I got okay, it wrong. Okay, so all the rest of us. Good job. <laughs> all right, yeah, number three. There. He starred in the sitcom The New Dick Van Dyke Show, in which he portrayed a local television talk show host. Real or ridiculous? Boy, that must have had a real long run. I've never heard of it. Uh, that was yeah. out in the 70s. What do you think, Don? Uh, I know he had another show after that, but I don't think he played that, so I'm going to say ridiculous. I don't think he was a talk show host, so I'll say ridiculous. Um, just to go against the grain, I'll say <laughs> 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 real. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. Good job, Mom. Oh, that is oh, absolutely oh. real, and that is absolutely true. This is for Alice. <laughs> And this is for all the rest of us. And you know what? Aren't you going to argue with me, Carl? No. Okay. Thank you for that. I don't think he was argue. ever on the, on the Carol Burnett okay, show. Okay, well, though. you'll have to do your research then, won't I you? Yes, I will. You know what, Don? No matter what happens in this game, you are the big winner here because you have won a pair of lawn tickets to Ravinia on July 21st, which is coming up right around the corner. You're going to see Ghostbusters celebrating its 35th anniversary with a score played live with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. You're going to join our very own Dean Richards, who will lead a pre-concert discussion. You can get tickets at Ravinia.org. Ravinia is a nice place to be, and I hope you've got somebody great to take with you to go see some Ghostbusters. Okay, well, I thank you guys very much. Terrific. Thanks, Thanks for playing. Appreciate you. All right, well, guess what, Lisa Wolf? What, Carl? It's time for Fibber McGee and Molly. 
Fibber McGee and Molly is uh, one of the most beloved comedy shows of the golden age of radio. Started way back in 1935, and they lasted all the way till 1959. One of the longest running shows from radio, and they were real life husband and wife, Jim and Marianne Jordan. They were natives of Peoria, Illinois. Mm. Um, they lived on the show at 79 Wistful Vista in the town of Wistful Vista, Illinois. Or, or no, USA. <laughs> now, not Illinois. They were from Peoria, Illinois. Now, it was co written by Don Quinn and co created by Don Quinn. And there was all kinds of characters that would pay visits to the McGee's, including Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, who then spun off into his own show, The Great Gildersleeve. So we have a September 12, 1939 episode. It's McGee's 15th wedding anniversary. Let's tune this in. Jim and Marion Jordan star now in part one of Fibber McGee and Molly. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Donald Novis, Bill Thompson, and Billy Mills Orchestra. I'd like to take one minute right now to answer a simple question. Just what does Johnson's Wax do for your floors? And why does this real wax save you so much work? Well, the answer is simple. When you apply Johnson's Wax to your floors, you are in reality giving them a tough, transparent shield of wax protection which shuts out dirt and germs. Thereafter, scuffing shoes cannot ruin the floor. A tough wax film guards the surface from wear, keeps your floors beautiful as new with a rich, mellow luster. A single application will greatly improve the looks of the wood floors in your home. You never have to scrub a Johnson waxed floor because stains and soil spots can be easily wiped off the satiny wax polish. Wax your windowsills, too, your radio, picture frames, kitchen cabinet, and a hundred other articles in your home. And then everything will take on new beauty, and your cleaning work will be cut in half. Remember, genuine Johnson's Wax wears longer and gives greater protection to the things you prize most. Peculiar situation seems to be in progress at 79 Wistful Vista this evening. Molly is wearing an expression of mingled affection and exasperation, while her spouse seems a bit perplexed and perturbed. It's a situation that's always old and always new, but it's the first time it's happened to Fibber McGee and Molly. Come on, McGee, think. What day is this? Oh, now, let me see. It's Tuesday. The Chucks, we have that every week. Come, come now. What happened to us 15 years ago? 15 years ago? Search me. I don't think I... Oh, yes. Uncle Dennis got pinched for bootlegging. (laughs) Chucks ain't I the dumb one. (laughs) I should have remembered that. Remember how he tried to ditch the evidence by pouring it down the sewer and five manhole covers blew off downtown? (laughs) I'm glad you remind me of that, Molly, because I... wasn't I... reminding you of that. 
This, dearie, is our 15th wedding anniversary. What? It is? Our 15th? Uh, only our... I what? mean... Uh, <laughs> what do you know about that? Congratulations, Molly. <laughs> what are you congratulating me for? <laughs> well, congratulations to us, then. 15 years. Don't seem that long, does it? No. <laughs> Get your hat and let's go out and celebrate. All right. And I know just the place to go. Where? They're having a special this week at Kramer's Drugstore on caramel ice cream. <laughs> oh, come, come, dearie. Control yourself. <laughs> I wouldn't have reminded you if I'd have thought you were going all to pieces like this. <laughs> uh, remember the night we eloped, Molly? I certainly do, McGee. Oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> remember that funny little justice of the peace that married us? Yeah. <laughs> I still say it would have been a much prettier ceremony if he hadn't been chewing tobacco. <laughs> Chuck's I was nervous enough as it was. <laughs> Come in. Howdy, folks. Want to buy any garden, truck, egg, plant, squash, and carrots? <laughs> no, thanks, bud. We got everything we need. Sorry to hear it. Need the money. <laughs> Farm business is worse than it's been for 40 years. Oh, that's too bad. Don't you ever make a profit? Well, I might in normal times. What do you mean, normal times? Search me, never seen any. <laughs> Let's see, uh, what was we talking about, Molly? Uh, getting married. Oh, yes, I, I think we ought to, Molly. Er, no! <laughs> we did, didn't we? <laughs> Are you sorry, dearie? Sorry? I should say not. I'd do it all over again. Yes, sir. Say, that ain't a bad idea. That ought to be fun. What on earth are you talking about? Look, let's elope again tonight and get married all over again. What do you say? Are you serious? Why, I'm more serious now than I was the first time. <laughs> it's like describing a baseball game off the ticker tape. It's just as exciting even when you know what the score is. <laughs> well, all right, McGee, I'll elope. But now there's just one thing. What's that, sweetheart? <laughs> about... About going down that ladder huh? Under the circumstances, don't you think it'd be better if I carried you down this time? <laughs> no, that wouldn't work, I'm too ticklish <laughs> I'll tell you what you do, Molly, it'll be dark before long You pack your bag and I'll go someplace and borrow a ladder Oh, well, uh, just a minute, dearie, before you go Huh? What's the matter? Well, uh, now, that, uh, now that we're engaged, <laughs> aren't you going to kiss me? <laughs> oh, okay, goodbye <laughs> Well, let's see. I wonder if the fire department would lend me a ladder. Maybe if I... Oh, how do you do, Mr. McGee? Oh, hi, Uppy. Is Mrs. McGee at home? Yes, she is, Uppy. She's in the house there preparing her torso. Come on in. <laughs> hey, Molly. Here's Uppy. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? So nice to see you. Oh, and it's so nice to see you, my dear. Uh, tell me, are you engaged this evening? Well, heavenly days. How did you know, Mrs. Uppington? <laughs> we ain't only engaged, Duppy. We're going to get married. Oh, how very... What? <laughs> married? Why, yes, we thought it'd be fun. Yeah. But, my dear, after all this time, I mean... Well, now, really... <laughs> Oh, you don't catch on to it, Uppy. We're getting married again. You mean to, to each other? Well, uh, who did you think? This is our 15th anniversary, Mrs. Uppington, and we're going to celebrate by eloping just like we did before. Yeah, incidentally, Uppy, you got a ladder we could borrow? A ladder? Oh, of course, I have a lovely 
lovely ladder. Oh, I'm sure I still have the ladder I used when I dedicated the new chandelier at the ladies' exchange. Why, it's all covered with gold leaf and has a handrail. Oh, that sounds beautiful. That sounds a little dilly, but we ain't got time to dally. Can I come over and get it, Uppy? Oh, that won't be necessary, Mr. McGee. Snodgrass, my butler, will bring it over. Oh, oh my. <laughs> Think of you two being married 15 years yeah. and eloping. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, tell me, have you arranged for anyone to pursue you? Oh, oh no, no. No one is chasing us. This is just for our own amusement. Oh, of course. Well, I'm sure the affair will never be criticized, even though you are being unchaste. Oh! Oh, oh my aunt, I, a silly girl. Well, goodbye. <laughs> If you listen, I'll sing you a sweet little song Of a flower that's faded and dead Yet dearer to me, yes, than all of its mates Though each holds aloft its proud head My wife Search everywhere, but none can compare with my wild Irish rose. My wild Irish rose, the dearest flower that grows, and someday for my sake. She may let me take a bloom from my wild Irish Someday for my sake She may let me take The bloom from my wild Irish That's the first portion of Fibber, McGee, and Molly going back to September 12, 1939. Fibber, McGee, and Molly is uh, a regular in our classic radio club series. And I'm not sure if you out there in Radio Land are a classic radio club member. But if you're not, you might want to try it. Go to our website, classicradioclub.com. You can join 
the very first month for only $1 and get 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. Now, you can get these shows via digital download as uh, Lisa likes to get them. Right, Lisa? Right, Carl. Or you can get them the way Mike likes to get them on CD. Five CDs in a collector case. And how do you like to get them, Carl? Well, I like both. Are you I'm signed up of, for the club? Yeah. Um, I get them both ways. I get the digital download, so when I'm driving in my car... You like everything both ways. But then I like the CDs as well, because I like to have uh, the physical discs. But uh, every single month, you'll get 10 classic radio shows, 10 new shows, and they're always amazing sound quality, like this... Fibber McGee and Molly broadcast we're playing for you here, all direct from Master Recordings. You're uh, never going to get a duplicate show. And uh, you know what else, Lisa? Uh, you get liner notes, copious liner, liner notes. notes. yeah. And um, you get some rare gems that you wouldn't find otherwise if you weren't a part of the Classic Radio Club. What you also get is shows in pristine quality, which you also couldn't get anywhere other than the Classic Radio Club. Yep, so uh, get 10 shows sent to you each and every month. And join the first month, only $1. You can go to ClassicRadioClub.com. And you could cancel at any time. This is not one of those things where you join, and if you don't like it for any reason, you can't, you're, you're stuck. It's not like that. You can just join, and if you want to cancel, you can cancel at any time. Go to ClassicRadioClub.com. All right, we'll be back in exactly seven seconds. That was seven seconds? Seemed like fast, less than right? seven. I'll tell you what, that seemed like my maybe six. Oh, so close. Yeah. Or maybe a second off. The proud, honorable men and women of our military are sacrificing their lives and their families for our freedom. Please take time to remember and pray for our men and women fighting overseas. This salute courtesy of Vazilko Architects in Chicago, where they are working hard for the future of our community. For information, call 312-755-9800. 312-755-9800. Vazilko Architects on the air, saluting our troops. Look at Roger up there. He looks like a blue M&M. Doesn't he? He does like M&M. Yeah, he looks like a blue M&M. Up I think there. he's just still celebrating the Fourth of July. Of is course, I am. This is my blue. Yeah, you know, he's I got red. red. He's I got red blue. Last night. I know you did. Yeah, and you've got shoes with all of those colors, yeah. so well, they're not always tonight, right. But I've got them. Yeah, and yeah. I know you have some uh, fancy dancy socks. Yes, because a fancy dancy people gave them to that, me. No right. person, not people. You Pe- got that person. wrong twice now. Okay, person. <laughs> But both of you held the bag when you gave it to me. I'm pretty sure that wasn't correct. (laughs) Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Sound like he was running out of breath there. You're talking about Bill Curtis or Roger Baddish? You okay, Roger, up there? I'm fine. Did you get a blue M&M stuck in your throat? No. No? Shawberg? I... uh, he was the very mayor. careful to speak it Roger correctly. is the mayor of Shawburg. Yes, I am. Yep. The, no, uh, I'm fine. I'm, he, I'm still a raspy the only resident? from the, uh, He's from the, the mayor, parade. From the the parade. So how was this Skokie parade? Oh, marvelous. I was Good. expecting to see you guys out there. but You uh, were? Why? Why? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you support me so much, and I appreciate it, and you wanted to see your socks in action. Roger, we gave you a hat. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> were you, uh, you were on the float today? Was it uh, today? It was, was on July 4th. Oh, on July 4th. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Roger, were you floating today? He's drinking I, no, and you're I floating. Carl's been floating. <laughs> 
He's streaking and you're floating. Hey, well, I'm fine. I was walking. I was fine. I was the master of ceremonies. Wow. Yeah. This is pretty impressive. He's well, been talking about it for I months. I know. He just doesn't. He, he has been. been listening. He has been? He has months. earphones on, Actually, but he's not he hearing anything. Actually, he did it last anything. year, too. Roger, <laughs> yes. I have a lot of buttons here. I know you do. Of, I got faders. I got buttons. I and he doesn't I have to push any point. of them because we have Shantae. I know. Shantae, she's really. She, she, has she to, runs this thing. Oh, you know? I know. <laughs> I've got uh, you know. I've got to figure out the time and when to go to news. Uh-huh. It's, it's not, a lot. It's not like the old days when I used to go to news five minutes early and, <laughs> news, and, like, and nobody's up there. There's no one and there. there's nobody there. And I don't have anything else to say, so it's time for news. No, That's really that really happened. Yeah. The guy, nobody was there. I was sweating profusely. <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, Lisa, Time for news. let's just go to news. Yeah. We don't have anything to talk Kids, about. If you're thinking of a career in broadcasting, <laughs> go to the Carl Amari School of Broadcasting. Yeah, right. <laughs> that should get you far. Oh, man. Here's what you do. If you yeah. don't have anything to do right. or say, if you've run out of things to say, right. just throw it to news. Let's throw it to news, no matter what. Even if they're not in the newsroom. <laughs> but here's the thing. You have to learn how to pronounce the person's name who you're throwing it uh, to. And that's too. an issue as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's well, let's not the... talk about that. Let's not. <laughs> we are, you already did. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what you do. Throw it to news, yeah. even if there's no one there. And then That's you can right. hear the You better just stay there. in your seat, Roger. Yeah. You never know. Oh my gosh. Somebody put epoxy on it. Uh, <laughs> so I know you're enjoying this Fibber McGee and Molly. Oh, you know I love Fibber McGee. He loves Fibber McGee yes, and Molly. I do. Jim and Marion Jordan. You know, when they yeah. tried to take this show to television, mm-hmm. it was not with Jim and no. Marion Jordan. It was um, Kathy, I think it was Kathy Lewis. Um, and I'm trying to think who the other guy was. I can't think of him right it now. It didn't go over very well. It did no, not no, work on TV no, at no. all. You know what else did not work on TV? <laughs> Duffy's Tavern. They tried to do that on oh, television. Really? Another one that didn't work. I think Life with Luigi didn't do very well. And then um, there was another one that uh, I'm trying to think now. But some of them made smooth. Life of Riley yeah. went right over well, because that was great. William Bendix yeah. kept doing the character it was great yeah you know, the, a lot of them made a great yeah. really smooth transition mm-hmm. jack benny you know sure. was the other one that didn't work what? charlie mccarthy show they tried oh, to do that on television yes. did yeah. not work yeah because you know edgar bergen god rest his soul he, he wasn't, wasn't the best venture no his lips was like crazy yeah yeah wasn't the best venture but you said that this when uh, uh fibber mcgee on radio went on to 1959 on radio yeah i was seven years old i was wow. listening to it wow yeah Wow. So, very cool. Lisa loves ventriloquism. I do. Yeah. She's got a few puppets, or what are they, dummies? <laughs> puppets, dummies. What are they, dummies? You got a couple of dummies, I, right? You got I a guess. sidekick who's a dummy. I, you said what, it. I did not. Do you actually have a... a I used to. Really? Yeah. What Don't is, you remember? I had like a howdy doody. Guy. Oh, it was a hot. Yeah, was it she, was in like a trunk. Who got her interested in uh, being a ventriloquist? We just had, we just had that. Somebody gave her a dummy. Well, we just <laughs> we, had. We it. gave it to her, right? We just had that. It just existed in my house. That's right. I don't know well, where it came from. You were from. shopping one time, and you no, were like, I don't think hey, it was bought Mom, for hey, me. Hey, Dad, I'd love to do that. We just had it in it, like a old case down there. I don't know where it originated from. Oh, it wasn't from. bought for her. I don't believe so. It may have been bought for your siblings. I, I we Maybe don't know, your brother. No. Yeah, could yeah. be. I don't know. Are you ever going to bring a dummy here and sh- do <laughs> yeah, a Yeah, every weekend. Do a vi- <laughs> <laughs> she brought two of them tonight. No, I wasn't referring to my parents. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs>
All right, well, let's get back now to <laughs> Fibber McGee and Molly. As you may have suspected, folks, that was my wild Irish rose sung by Donald Novus. And it was not only very beautiful, Mr. Novus, but very appropriate. Well, thanks, Molly. See, I heard you and Fibber were eloping tonight, and in honor of your wedding, everybody in the program chipped in and bought you this. Oh. oh thanks, Don. They shouldn't have done this. <laughs> what is it, Molly? Ah, it's a cake of soap. Cake of soap? Say, what's the idea, Novus? Well, we, we wanted to give you a shower, but uh, there wasn't time, so... We thought we'd give you the soap and let you take a shower yourself. <laughs> well, best wishes, folks. Cake of soap. Oh, that's a fine wedding present. Well, shall we get started, dearie? Yeah, I just seen Uppy's butler walking around in back with a ladder. You go upstairs and open the window, and I'll run around the back. Okay, McGee. Oh, promise me that someday you and me will take our love. Hi, mister. Don't bother me, little girl. I'm busy. What doing? Well, I'm, I'm going to elope. What's elope? Well, <laughs> that means when you run away with somebody you like. Oh, you mean like the dish ran away with the spoon and the little boy laughed to see such sport and the cow jumped over the moon, hmm, don't you? Hmm? <laughs> yeah, only tonight the moon won't have any beef coming. Oh. <laughs> now run along, little girl. Anyway, you shouldn't be out this late. Well, gee... I'm waiting for Easter. You're waiting for Easter? Sure. Listen, sis, you better run on home now. Easter won't be here for six or seven months. Uh... <laughs> hey, 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 wait a minute now. Now, take it easy. What's the matter? Does Easter mean that much to you? Sure he does, I betcha. He's the cutest bunny rabbit I ever owned. <laughs> oh, I got it now. Gee, have you? Give him to me, mister. No, no. Here, Easter. No, I, I didn't mean I had the rabbit, sis. I, I meant I got the idea. Hmm? <laughs> I says, I'm, listen, sis, I'm sorry I ain't got time to help you look for your rabbit, but if you'll describe him to me, I'll keep an eye out for him. Oh, well, he's got big ears, and he's white, and he's got pink eyes, and he wiggles his nose, and... Well, that's a pretty general description so far. <laughs> Ain't he got any distinctive characteristics? Hmm? <laughs> I says, ain't he got any peculiarities? What's he got that other rabbits ain't got? Six little baby rabbits. <laughs> I'm afraid with rabbits, sis, that ain't a very distinctive characteristic. <laughs> Well, what I mean is, ain't he bow-legged? Ain't he, ain't he got freckles? Don't he, don't he stutter or something? No. How about his tail? Mm, I guess we mustn't talk about that, I bet you. Why not? Hmm? <laughs> Why mustn't we talk about his tail? My mama said so. Oh, that seems peculiar. Just what did she say? Well, she said Easter was awful pretty, but he didn't have any tail to speak of. Well, thanks anyway, <laughs> Well, now for the elopement. Uh, hey, Easter, or hey, Molly. Which window? Right up here, dearie. Okay, grab the ladder now when I put it up. I got it, McGee. Are you coming up or am I coming down? How'd we do it the last time? Well, that's what I was trying to avoid. <laughs> well, here comes the suitcase. Catch it. <laughs> Hey, 
Hey, what the deuce did you put in that thing? Oh, that must be the alarm clock. I put it in to make it heavier. Oh. <laughs> well, hang on to the ladder. I'm coming up. Oh, promise me that someday you and me will tell... Whoops. Our love to... Oh, hi, Molly. <laughs> Hello, McGee. Isn't this fun? Yeah. It's a good thing it's dark. I think I'm blushing. Yeah. I'm... I'm kind of palpitating myself. Yeah. <laughs> Smoking too much, I guess. <laughs> Inhale every puff. <laughs> what are you holding me so tight for, dearie? Are you afraid you'll fall? No, sirree. I've been falling for 15 years. Oh, McGee, you say the sweetest things. Uh... All right, you come down out of that. We got you covered. <laughs> Go on, beat it, officer. We're eloping. Oh, eloping. A likely story. Take a look at that suitcase, Mike, and see what they got. <laughs> now, listen, officer. We're, you're making a mistake. This is my house. We live here. You always go in by the upstairs window? <laughs> listen, officer. I'm his wife, and we're eloping. Yes. That's pretty thin, eloping with your own husband. Come down here now, and don't make any false moves. What's in the suitcase, Mike? Well, there's a couple of books, an alarm clock, and a flat iron. I see. All stuff that's easily disposed of. Now, come along quietly. Put that suitcase in the car, Mike. We'll show the... Hey, hey, hey there. Hey there, officer. Wait a minute. Oh, here comes Mr. Wilcox. He'll identify yeah. us. Is this a squad car? Yes, it is. Well, I want you to make an arrest. Where? Who? Arrest the deterioration of the finish on this car. Look at that dust and dirt. Look at those scratches and marks. Why don't you men enforce the law? What law? The law of compensation. You can't get the best value out of a car unless you take care of it. Hey, Harlow, will you tell these fellas... I am telling them. I'm telling them that Car New will keep the finish of this car in perfect condition and save the taxpayers money, too. Now, look, boys, all you have to do is apply Johnson's Car New over the clean surface of this car, let it dry to a white powder, and wipe it off with a soft cloth. And there you'll have a squad car cleaned and wax polished in one simple operation. Why, it's marvelous. You'll enjoy your work a lot more. It'll put a punch in every pinch. <laughs> Look, Wilcox, these guys have arrested us by mistake. Tell them who we are, will you? Aren't you the people who made me talk baby talk last week? And got everybody to call me Cuddles? Do you know these people, Cuddles? <laughs> I never saw them before in my life. Oh. Good night, officer. Hey, Harlow, come back here. Oh, dear. Listen, officer. Quiet. Now... Drive on, Michael. Why, look, Well, we can explain everything. All we was doing was getting up... Calling on... car 46. Calling car 46. Go to Wistful Vista Cheese Factory. Watchman reports suspicious noises. Investigate. Are they mice or are they men? That is all. Now, listen, officer. Why don't you be nice? You're spoiling our 15th wedding anniversary. Yes. Ain't you guys got any sentiment? After 15 years, have you... Calling all cars, calling all cars. Be on lookout for gunman named Al Cabucci. Cabucci. Al Cabucci. Cabucci. If he is wearing light gray fedora, green spats, and a diamond scarf pin, that is Al. <laughs> all right, come on, get out. And walk ahead of me into the station. Red, 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 red
Well, what's this? What's the charge? Breaking and entering, Lieutenant. Caught him on a ladder on the second floor at 79 Wistful Vista. And they had a suitcase full of loot, Lieutenant. <laughs> we never know such a thing, Lieutenant. That's our suitcase, and that was our house. What's your name? He's Fibber McGee, and he's one of the most prominent citizens. Hello, in Look in the book and see if we have a record on McGee. I think we'll make an example of you. There's too much of this breaking and entering going on. It's a crime wave. Go on, you wouldn't know a crime if it did wave. Be quiet. Telephone, bud. Police department. Who? Oh, Billy Mills? Oh, he's a friend of ours, Lieutenant. Ask him about us. Uh, listen, Mr. Mills, do you know a couple named Mr. and Mrs. Fibber McGee? Ah, good old Billy. You don't, huh? He does, too. What's that, Mr. Mills? They've what? Broken into homes every Tuesday night for years. Oh. Oh, thank you very much. You're going to play what? White sails. Yes, I'd like to hear it. Well, of all the dirty tricks... He'll swing for this. All right, you two. Let's hear this fairy story of yours about eloping. Now, listen, Lieutenant. I'll have you know I'm a respectable citizen. That's what they all say. I'm holding you under $1,000 bond. What? A prominent citizen like me? Why, you can't do that to me. I'm too big a man in this town. Why, even when I was a kid, Lieutenant, they wanted me to run for Congress. Why, they even had little pins printed with my head on them. Pinhead McGee, I was no doubt. <laughs> Pinhead McGee, probably the most prominent person ever picked by plutocrat or plumber, poet or peasant as the prize promoter of praiseworthy projects, pointed to by perspicacious politicians as the pick of the populace to pioneer in putting the People's Party in power on a platform playing up the parking problem, and punishing the political pirates polluting the public payroll, and praised by even the paid press for properly purging punk and palooka from Pasadena to old Paducah. <laughs> can see, Lieutenant, we're really pretty respectable people. There, quiet there. Who's this, Callahan? He says his name is Horatio K. Boomer, Lieutenant. Suspected of picking pockets in Joe's Tavern. Joe's Tavern, huh? That place has a bad name. What were you doing there? Well, believe it or not, officer, I was waiting for a sidecar. <laughs> Any evidence, Callahan? No evidence, Lieutenant. Certainly not. What do you take me for, an amateur? <laughs> Let him go, Callahan, but keep an eye on him after this. Now, just a minute, Lieutenant. Mr. Boomer knows who we are. Yeah, you'll vouch for us, won't you, Boomer? Good evening, my dear. Hello there, Bumble Brain. What's the matter? Well, the Lieutenant thinks we're burglars. And he's holding us for a $1,000 bond. $1,000, eh? I'll pay the ransom, Lieutenant. Gee, thanks, Boomer. Think nothing of it. What's $1,000 to me? That matter, what's my right eye to me? <laughs> You're going to go bail for this man. Hurry up. Uh, certainly, certainly. I have it right here somewhere. Thousand bucks, thousand bucks. Where'd I put that thousand bucks? Here's a pair of brass knuckles. Use them to make lampshades. Know anyone that wants a lamp shaded? <laughs> Let's see. Postcard from an old friend in Leavenworth. Says, quote, Doing time fine. Wish you were here. Unquote. <laughs> Pair of hollow heels for smuggling diamonds. Never used them. I get cold feet when I walk on ice. Come on, Boomer, hurry up. The thousand bucks. Don't hector me, Pop. Now, where I put that grand? Here's a package of playing cards in case I get in a friendly game of poker. These cards are friendly even when they turn their backs. Mud pack for my dear old mother. 
puts an entirely different face on the mater. <laughs> yes, indeed. Bottle of hair dye for a girlfriend with a convertible top. <laughs> and a check for a short beer. Well, well, imagine that. Here it is, one grand. Oh. <laughs> one grand and a glorious feeling. Well, thanks, boomer old pal. Now, can we go now, Lieutenant? Yes, but report back here tomorrow. Okay, bud. Boomer, I certainly appreciate it. Hey, Boomer, wait a minute. We want to thank you. I'll thank you not to delay me. Yeah, but about that thousand dollars. Forget it, fidget midget. I'm going right home and print another batch. <laughs> Days. He bailed us out with counterfeit money. Well, we ain't the only lambs that have been pulled out of a hole by a crook, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a fine end to a beautiful idea. No, it ain't, Molly. Don't give up yet. Now, let's go ahead and get married again, just as if nothing had happened. There's a justice of the peace in this building, and we'll see him right while we're here. Well, good for you, McGee. I think this is it right in here, Molly. Are you uh, the justice of the peace, sir? Sure am, daughter. Hello there, Johnny! <laughs> Glad to see you back. What do you mean, back? Hey! What do you mean, back? We haven't been here before. Oh, yes, you have. <laughs> I married you kids in 1924. Never forget a face. Though in your case, Johnny, I certainly tried. <laughs> Imagine that, Molly, the same guy that married us before. Well, he ought to be glad to know that it lasted. They tie more slip knots than love knots these days. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, daughter. But that ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> the way I heard it, one feller says t'other feller. Say, <laughs> You know what them three balls over a pawn shop door stand for? Yep, says t'other feller. Two to one, you don't get it back. <laughs> what was it you wanted, kids? <laughs> We want to get married again, old-timer. How much do you charge? Ten bucks, Johnny, for the original marriage. Five bucks for an encore. Oh, all right. Go ahead. Take me hand, dearie. Take this man be a lawful wedding husband. Take this woman be a lawful wedding. I seek a well, rich, poor, and I'll man and wife. I'll kiss the bride. Fifteen bucks, please. Did you say fifteen dollars? Hey! What's the idea of charging us 15 bucks? You said it was only $5 for the second marriage. That's right, Johnny. <laughs> but you never paid for the first one. Oh, God. Well, McGee, I certainly was embarrassed at starting our second honeymoon by going to jail. You was, huh? Well, you wasn't half as confused as you was at our first wedding. What do you mean, confused? Don't you remember, Molly? You told your corsage how beautiful it looked and threw the bridesmaid downstairs? <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> this is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, Racine, Wisconsin, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night at this same time. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. All right, that's Fibber, McGee, and Molly. Good broadcast from September 12, 1939. It's their 15th wedding anniversary. And you heard uh, a whole gang of uh, their regulars, including Harold Perry, Isabel Randolph, Frank Nelson on that, Bill Thompson. Great show is heard on NBC. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. All right, you know what, Lisa? What? In our next hour... 
I'm going to tell the story of I was a communist for the FBI. Well, this should be an interesting story. I'd like to hear your story. <laughs> Back in the 1950s, yes. I decided to be a, a double agent <laughs> for the American uh, government. So have you changed at all since then? Back in the 50s. Have you changed since the like 50s? When I was like 30 years old, which would right. mean I'd had to been born in 1920. Yeah, well, I always knew you kind of looked good for your age. I sound pretty good for someone that was born in 1920, right? Eh. So, so I'll give you a five. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, very, very interesting series. I was a communist for the FBI. It was a syndicated series. Dana Andrews was a pretty, pretty big movie star at the time, and they lured him to the radio microphones to play this character. He was not the actor that played the character in the movies. Frank Lovejoy played uh, Matt Savetic in the movie, and then when they did the radio show. It's kind of odd because Frank uh, because um, Frank Lovejoy did tons of radio. You would have think, well, he'd be great for the radio show. No, but they got a movie star to play on the radio. It was kind of backwards, really. But um, Dana Andrews was terrific in the role. He was really interesting. Um, The series was really interesting, and he did a great job on it. And that's coming up next in our 1 o'clock hour. So stay tuned for I Was a Communist for the FBI. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Lisa, can you look something up for me? What's a rip current? Uh, you're going to have to ask uh, your newsman. Yeah, so I'm not sure what a rip current is. Never heard of that. It's when you rip a you, current. Wait a minute. You've never heard of a no, rip current? Have you never ever heard gone of a swimming in Lake Michigan? I've heard of rip tide. I've never rip heard, tide, I've good heard TV of show. high tide, low a tide. A rip current is a... Never heard of it. So I'm just asking what a rip current okay. is because I... You know, you know. Every single day, I try to learn one thing. Mm-hmm. And today, I'd like so to Roger, why don't you answer him? Well, if he stops talking, you see, you're looking it up. No, I'm not looking. <laughs> well, not looking tell me on a on a break because we have a lot yeah, of you show. Gotta, but, you got to get. It's that, a show about old time radio. Yeah, not that's right. That's true. That's true. In this hour, I was a communist for the FBI. Dana Andrews starring. But right now, we're going to play our game. Is it real? Or is it ridiculous? Yes, we're going to be talking about Mary Tyler Moore, another one of my favorites. And we're going to be giving away another pair of lawn tickets to Ravinia on July 21st. All right. So uh, give us a call, 312-981-7200. We are looking for caller number six. Call right now. We'll be right back. Come on, baby. We have Pat on the phone to play Real or Ridiculous. Hi, Pat. Oh, hang on a second. Where's Pat? There we are. Hi, Pat. I'm here. Hey, how are you? Very good. I'm doing well, thank you. Terrific. Glad you made it through. You were caller number six, and we're going to do a little Mary Tyler Moore tonight, okay? That's great. Okay, number one. In 2002, the city of Minneapolis dedicated a statue of Mary Richards. Real or ridiculous? I'll say it's real. Dad? I'll go along with that. I think it's real. Mom? Real. Real. Real? It's real. That is absolutely correct. It makes perfect sense, right, Minneapolis? Yeah. All right, number two. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Just so we're clear, that is the uh, sound effect I bought for Carl for Christmas in 1999. (laughs) Okay. We are at at a high-tech station, yet he uses that. Number two. (laughs) She won the Academy Award for Best Actress for her role in Ordinary People. Real or ridiculous? I'll say real. I agree again. Yep, I think it's real. I disagree. I don't think she did. You don't think she did? No, I don't think she's an Academy Award winning actress. Really? Well, she did not. All Carl, right, you are absolutely oh. correct. Oh. 
Um, and she lost to Sissy Spacek, who won for Coal Miner's Daughter. And I'm sorry to do this to you guys. This is for you. <laughs> yeah, you seem really sorry about that. All right. We're going to show those Ravinia tickets. I'm, I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm so sad that I had to I play see. that. Um, number three, her first regular television role was as a telephone receptionist in Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Real or ridiculous? I'll say ridiculous. I have to agree with a caller. <laughs> ridiculous. Well, I'll go against and say real. You and I are going to be right, Alice, so. because it, it, is, is, it is real. It is absolutely real. She started out yeah. in Richard Diamond, Private Detective. And here is uh, for Pat and for uh, Mr. Matanki. <laughs> How are you supposed to know these things? Um, well, you know, you're not, but oh, you've yeah. learned something, so now you know them. I just want to say Only this. this minute. <laughs> out, of, out of nine... I got two wrong, and I got seven right. Carl did really well today. Not yeah. bad. Yeah, he Not did bad. really well. And I will add today as part of it, because yeah. um, that is an anomaly, um, just so we're clear. But the winner here is Pat, That's because right. he gets to go to Ravinia and spend a beautiful evening under the stars. You have won a pair of lawn tickets to Ravinia on July 21st to see Ghostbusters celebrating its 35th anniversary, which is remarkable in and of itself that it's been 35 years, with the score played live by by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and join our very own Dean Richards who will lead a pre-concert discussion. Get your tickets at ravinia.org but you have won two tickets. I hope you have a beautiful evening under the stars, Pat. Thank you. I appreciate that. Terrific. Enjoy it. Thanks, Pat. Big winner. All right, it's time now for I Was a Communist for the FBI Good Spy series that Dana Andrews starred in. He was Matt Savetic on here, and Savetic infiltrated the Communist Party in the USA and reported every move back to the FBI for nine years. Now, this aired from 1952 until 1954 during the height of the anti-communist frenzy sweeping the USA. Now, tension uh, was filled in this series because Svetic constantly was in risk of his life if the commies learned that he was a double agent. So let's go back to a broadcast date of November 23rd, 1952. This is called Treason Comes in Cans, part one now of I Was a Communist for the FBI. I Was a Communist for the FBI. Dana Andrews in an exciting tale of danger and espionage. I was a communist for the FBI. From the actual records and authentic experiences of Matt Savetic come many of the incidents in this unusual story. Here is our star, Dana Andrews, as Matt Savetic who for nine fantastic years lived as a communist for the FBI. For nine years, I managed to live on a communist diet, a diet of indigestible ideals and poisonous philosophies. But even I was shocked to learn that red poison came in cans. This story may save you from a violent case of political tomain. <laughs>
here is Dana Andrews as Matt Sabatik, Undercover Man. This story from the confidential file is marked, Treason Comes in Cans. I should have been used to darkness by now. My life had become a series of grotesque shadow dances for the FBI, with the commies playing the music. But you never get used to darkness when the shadows are alive with treachery, when the mist is like the breath of disaster. The fog hung like a soggy veil over this tiny waterfront town. The buildings, the bleary street lights, everything seemed without shape or form. Swimming in a limbo of mist and darkness. And what was I doing here, walking the wet pavements of this waterfront street? I was looking for one particular building. The home of the Oceanic Import Company. A food importing concern that no one ever heard of. That is, no one but me and the commies who'd sent me here. And then, almost too suddenly... The fog swirled with movement. A light appeared over a doorway just ahead. And the darkness spoke to me. Spetic. Who's that? Wagner. Oh, I've been looking for you, comrade. Never mind that. This way. In here. I stepped out of the darkness into the lighted doorway. A door closed behind me. When it stopped blinking, I found myself facing the distinguished director of the Oceanic Import Company, Comrade Eric Wagner. He welcomed me with typical commie friendliness. You're late, Svetik. I know. That, that fog of is... Of course, pretty... the fog. Nevertheless, you're late, aren't you? Well, I suppose I am. Aren't you? All right, I'm late. Do you want a note from my mother? Hmm. I suppose your record for competence makes up for your lack of discipline. Yeah. Come along. Here, sit down. Thanks. You've been briefed on this project, I imagine? No. I was told to report to the Oceanic Import Company. I was to find you there. It looks like you found me. Yes. This is the Oceanic Import Company. This? Well, it's practically a barren room. All we need. Now, about your reason for being sent here. You know nothing about it? Oh, nothing. Hmm. Tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, a foreign freighter will dock at Pier 2. A freighter? I didn't think this port had any overseas traffic. Very little. It's primarily a fishing town. But as I say, tomorrow at 8 a.m. Pier 2, okay. In that freighter's cargo is a small crate of canned tuna. It's listed for delivery to the Oceanic Import Company. Canned tuna? That's right. What in the world does the party want with canned... Everything in time, Svetik. Everything in time. All right. Go on. You will meet that freighter in the morning, comrade, as a representative of Oceanic Imports. You will check with the cargo inspectors to see that our crate is properly dispersed. That's all? That crate of canned goods must not go astray. Why not? Because, Svetik, in those cans are microfilm of top-secret documents from the Communist International. Oh, I see. Oh, what sort of documents? The new revised plan for red action within the United States. The new timetable for the proletariat advance. I see. Canned goods seem to be going up in value. Yes. But if you should permit these canned goods to reach the open market, 
The price will be threatening. Has the crate been checked through yet? Not going to be checked through at all. Huh? Crate's gone. Gone? Yeah. What are you talking about? Here. Here's a manifest straight from the ship. Says that the canned tuna was damaged in shipment. Started to spoil, went bad. Just a minute. Let me see that. There it is, black and white. Your crate of canned stuff went bad. Last night, the crew dumped the crate overboard. It was there in black and white on the cargo report, all right. A crate of canned tuna had been tossed to the bottom of the murky harbor. Now the official red timetable had been put to sleep in the deep, out of reach of the eager commies. But I was still very much within reach of Comrade Wagner. This report from the cargo inspector, Svetik. You're sure it's complete? I'm afraid so, Comrade. Get I... your coat. What? Your coat. Put on your coat. Where are we going? I'm taking you for a boat ride. Well, look, Wagner, it's not my fault that the crate you was thrown... You didn't try explaining anything, Svetik. Just get your coat and come along. Uh, just one minute. Are you I... afraid of the water, Svetik? All right, let's go. <laughs> just like the American bourgeoisie, eh, Svetik? Our own little yacht and everything. Yeah, everything. Why so glum, comrade? Don't you enjoy the sea air? I'm a little fed up with this mystery routine you've been giving me. My stake in this project is as great as yours, Wagner, and I don't know why... Relax, I think I'm entitled... Relax. I'm about to show you exactly where our crate was thrown. Our crate is at the bottom of the harbor. There's Point Frugas over there, the entrance to the harbor. Just beyond it, our diligent comrades tossed the crate off the freighter into the water. Comrades? You mean we had party workers on the ship? Static, you really didn't think the party would let so valuable an item out of its hands for even a moment. Well, I... The crate was tossed overboard at a specified point by specially instructed comrades on the crew of the freighter. In this way, we avoided the risk of a possible cargo inspection on the dock. Understand now? Well, I... I guess so. Seems like the hard way to do things, though. Difficult, perhaps, but safe. Now, note this location carefully, Svetik. It will be up to you to get the crate with the microfilm out of the water. Oh, I see. I see. You'll hire a diving crew, dredge the bottom. Oceanic Imports will secure the permit. Now, Hey, senores! Hey, you with the motor! Who's that doing that hollering? Go away with your motor, senores. Por favor, senores, go away. You've got One of those fool fishermen. Better change your course, Wagner. You're heading toward his nets. Go the other way, senores. Go away with your motor, please. Hey, take it easy. What are you doing? Let him change his course. He's out to snare some measly fish. We're out to haul in the world. <laughs> Thank you, operator. Here you are. 
Beaker, this is Red. Oh, hi, Matt. Where are you? Still sloshing around the waterfront. Listen, Beaker. My little chums have tucked away a crate of hot microfilm. The FBI can use it. Yeah? Where is it? At the bottom of the harbor. At the bottom? Oh, fine. Can we reach it? I'll give you the location. I've been ordered to dredge it out for the commies. But I'll stall it off till you... We'll put the Coast Guard right on it. They can... Hey, wait a minute. What's the matter? What about you? Won't your red playmates get wise? Well, if you get the job done tonight, they'll... Look, Matt, we don't want to be fishing you out of the drink, too, you know. Get it done tonight. I'll keep Wagner away from the shore. Now, look, here's the location. Got a pencil? Right. Let's have it. The fog that night was thicker than ever. A sodden blanket that smothered all activity in the harbor. I kept Wagner away from the shore, all right. But the fog kept the Coast Guard away, too. When Wagner met me the next morning, the commie timetables were still asleep in the deep. Wagner, however, was very much awake. The diver to get the crate, Spetic. All arranged? Well, I... You know, the crews around here are pretty expensive. I've been shopping around for a decent price. Price? Spetic, do you realize what the price will be if we lose those microfilms? No time for false economy now, idiot. Just get that job done. It just couldn't be done last night, Matt. If you can figure a way to sweep the fog out of the harbor, we'll get that crate lifted. But... Beaker, I can't stall Wagner any longer. You've got to get that job done tonight. Fog or no fog. Well, we'll try, Matt. We'll do it somehow. Spetic, just why are you in the office now? I just got in. Why? This is the second day you postponed the diving job. I know. That, that fog's been awful soupy. At I... night, yes. But the days have been clear enough. If you can't handle a simple task like this, comrade... I, I... can handle it, Wagner. Don't worry about that. I'm not worrying, Spetic. But I suggest you start worrying a little more. If the crate isn't out of the water and in our hands tomorrow... Very dramatic music there, Lisa. Oh, I barely got to hear it, Carl. Very, you cut it right very off Very dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first portion of I Was a Communist for the FBI from November 23rd, 1952. A show called Treason Comes in Cans. Dana Andrews on there. You know who else is in this cast? Olin Soule. Olin Soule was um, Mr. First Nighter on the uh, First Nighter program for years. He was also a regular on uh, Gunsmoke and a lot of the television shows. And he was a Chicago native. He was a Chicago actor who made it big in radio. Also in the cast, Barney Phillips and Gerald Moore. Gerald Moore was Philip Marlowe on radio. And the announcer on this, Truman Bradley. Remember that name, Truman Bradley? All right, well, let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. All right, well, if you want to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, we had a few people texting in asking for the email address again. It is is classicradioclub.com, right, Lisa? Right, Carl, that is correct. There's a whole website there that explains you can join 
the CD membership or the digital membership. But the thing is, we have a limited time offer going on right now. You can join for the first month for only $1. And we're doing that because we really want you to give a shot, see if you like it. We're so sure that you will, that we're only going to charge you a dollar. And if you love it, that's great. And if you don't, no problem. You can uh, cancel your membership at any time. Yeah. And, you know, we, we made it so it's 10 classic radio shows. So 10 30-minute shows each and every month. That's only five hours of material. It's enough that you can listen to it in the month. And then the next month, you get 10 more shows and then 10 more shows after that. And they're always amazing sound quality. You will never get a duplicate show. There's never anything edited out of them. And we send you copious liner notes about each and every show. So check it all out. Go to the Classic Radio Club website at ClassicRadioClub.com. It's only $1 the first month, so try it. Try the Classic Radio Club. I think you will really enjoy being a club member. All right, Lisa, what's coming up uh, when we come back here at 11 p.m. tonight? Yes, we are going to start with the adventures of Philip Marlowe. Oh, we just talked about Gerald Moore. We sure did. He played uh, Philip Marlowe. And then we have an interesting show called Information, Please. Yeah. Kind of a uh, kind of a quiz kind of a quiz show. Uh, it was a really, I guess, back in those days, it would be called a. Um, uh, it's not. It wasn't. What do you call these shows uh, on television now? They're uh, TV that, shows. Well, yeah, no, but like like when they're not scripted, like what, reality shows. Yeah, like a reality show. That's what this kind of was back in the in the golden age. It was no script, and they right. had all these questions. They would ask a panel. And the panel would get the questions right or wrong. It was a really interesting show. I think you'll enjoy it. Information, yeah, please. It sounds good. The actually the episode that we uh, were scheduled to play tomorrow, uh, there Mike said there was some technical issues, so we're playing a different show. But we are playing still an, an information, please show, which I I know you I will like. I think that is um, where Paula Abdul got her name of her song from. She stole it from the radio show. Information, please. You know that song? She sings a song I called don't, Information, I don't want to please. sing it. I don't want to, but you're you're forcing me into it. Don't you know that song? No, how's it go? <sighs> Come on, Lisa. You know, straight you up, do. now tell me if it's going to be good. <laughs> I, can't, I just can't do it. <laughs> and what? I want some information, please. please. You know that song? Oh, yeah. Right? Wow. I think she stole that from the golden age of radio. Well, she borrowed it. Yeah. You know. Stealing is not good. No. She borrowed it. She borrowed it. She'll just have to give it back when she's done. <laughs> I met Paula Abdul one time. You did? Yeah. 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 Sang that tiny. song she's very too. Teeny, she's a very teeny person. Yeah. She's, she like that? She's like about, I don't know, I would guess 5'1", five, 5'2". Five, about, about your height. <laughs> no, I'm a Similar. little taller than that. Similar. She was very nice, though. Good. Very nice person. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Pearl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, you ready to get back to this, Lisa? I was a communist for the FBI. Yeah, well, we'll just have don't to let do anybody that. know, though. I'm just oh. telling you. I All was, right, but you, me, and everybody com- else listening to our show, which is the, hopefully a lot of people. <laughs> Lisa, I was a communist for the FBI. Shh. All right, so uh, Dana Andrews uh, with Treason Comes in Cans. Here's the conclusion. Beaker. Oh, this is Red, Beaker. Oh, I've been waiting for you to call. What's the matter? Matt, are you sure you gave me the right location for that crate? Sure. We checked it twice, didn't we? Well, the Coast Guard had 
divers walking all over the harbor bottom. They combed every inch of it. No crate, no microfilm, nothing. Nothing? Beaker, it's got to be there. I know it's there. Maybe the tide or the currents or something. The Coast Guard knows enough to allow for that. The crate just isn't there, Matt. Somebody has picked it off the floor of the harbor, and it's not the FBI. Oh, great. Great. Well, keep your boys around, Beaker. They may be picking me out of the harbor next. The United States Coast Guard had spent the night scouring the bottom of that murky harbor, searching in vain for the creative communist microfilm. Now it was my turn. By early afternoon, I was on the bars with a diving crew and comrade Eric Wagner, who had come along, evidently, to expose his nerve endings. We inched toward the area beyond Point Frugus, with Wagner becoming increasingly jumpy every bit of the way. I was wondering how he was going to react when he learned the bitter truth when... Hey! When one of the crew hopped from the deck of the tug to the barge. Hey, which one of you is Mr. Svenick? I am. What's up? Well, I was up there checking these instructions with the pilot of the tug, and I... They're all right, aren't they? Your crew can understand them, can't they? I mean, nothing is wrong. No, no, everything's fine. You're sure you want the divers to go ahead with this job? Well, yeah. That's what we hired them for. Huh? Okay, you're the boss. Now, just a moment. What's on your mind? Well, this crate we're looking for, it's a crate of canned tuna fish, ain't it? Yes, of course it is. Is there any doubt about that? No, just that one of them Portuguese fishermen pulled in a whole crate of canned tuna the other day. What? What this? Where? Where was he fishing? He'd spread his nets right out there where we're going. Leastwise, that's what I understand. And you say he pulled in a case of canned tuna? Yeah. I saw him tie up at the dock. He was one happy fisherman, that guy. No, I ain't sure it was your crate he hauled in, but... Turn back. Tell the pilot to turn back. Don't be foolish, Wagner. We've gone this far. We might as well Turn go. back, I said. We can't let that fisherman... You, you. Who's the fisherman? What's his name? How do I know his name? I just see him once in a while on the docks. Who is he, man? For the love of heaven, who is he? Quit yanking up my shirt. Mike, we'd like to find that fisherman. What did he look like? Well... Like a fisherman. They all look alike to me. Well, isn't there anything that... Uh, well, you saw his boat. Did it have a name or anything? Yeah. yeah I come to think of it in Spanish name, or maybe Portuguese. Uh, a pal, pal, you know, like the song. Paloma, that's it, La Paloma. Turn back. We have to find him. Turn back, I said. Listen, will you quit clawing at me? Tell that not... pilot to turn back immediately. It'll be a pleasure. More ruckus about some crummy cans of spoiled fish. For the sake of that unsuspecting fisherman, I had to find him before Wagner did. If he'd opened those cans and found the secret commie microfilms, the reds were licked. But if Wagner got to the fisherman first, he was in for trouble. Bad trouble. Searching the harbor area, we found that most of the fishing boats were out at work on the water and wouldn't return until about sundown. As for the inevitable fog, it didn't help a bit. The only thing I could find with no trouble was Wagner. He stuck to my side like a barnacle with a complex. Stetic, I hold you fully responsible for this mess. Me? Why me? If you hadn't postponed the diving for two oh, days... Oh, cut it out. 
I intend to file a complete report of your laxity with the control commission as soon as... Look, Wagner, we're wasting time this way. We ought to split up. Go in different directions. Mm, Might be wise. Look, you search the south end of the harbor, and I'll cover this bay area. We'll cut the time in half. Good idea. And Svetik, don't stop looking till you find that boat, the La Paloma. Don't worry, comrade. I'm as anxious to find that fisherman as you are. The murky waterfront was well covered that afternoon. I roamed the bustling piers and creaking docks. I studied the flocks of fishing boats huddled at anchor in the crescent of the shoreline. But La Paloma seemed to have flown from her nest. I walked along the edge of the seawall, trying to read the names on the boats that swayed at anchor below me. One boat swayed more than the others, as if to keep time with the loud singing that flowed from her deck. That boat bore the name La Paloma. Hey, hey, mister. You call me, senor? Yeah, is that your boat? See, si, she's mine. My bonita. Mind if I come aboard? Come, come down, amigo. You can jump from the wall, all right? Well, I can try. Okay, amigo, take a chance. Leave. There go. Ah, buenos dias, senor. You know how to mend the nets? No, I'm sorry. I I came to talk business. Fishing's my business, senor. So we talk about mending nets, eh? <laughs> well, uh, I'm with the Oceanic Import Company. Huh? Yeah, we, we import foods. Canned goods, tuna fish, that sort of thing. Tuna fish? I import too. I catch a whole crate of canned tuna in my nets. Big importer, that's me. <laughs> I give you competition, eh? Oh, that, uh, that tuna you found. That's why I want to talk to you. You want some? I sell you some pretty cheap. No. No, I don't think you'll want any either. The fish in those cans is bad. It's spoiled. Bad fish in cans? Yeah, I hope you haven't eaten any. Spoiled tuna can poison you, you know. See, si, see, si, I know. You sure my tuna is bad, senor? Look, I spent all day looking for you so I could warn you. I didn't do it because I needed to walk. See, si, see. Si. Maybe I'd better tell my wife, eh? Well, look, I'll, I'll do it for you if you like. After all, my company's responsible. See, si, you do it. You tell my wife I'm Andy Nets. Okay, uh, where do you live? Right down the Bayshore. Dos, dos, uno. Two, two, one, Bayshore. Over that way. Okay. Oh, uh, my name's Severic. What's yours? Camorina. Pietro Tamarino. My wife, she's Marie. You see her. Make her give you up the canned fish. I hope she won't mind my butting in. Go, go on. You tell her. But amigo, hey. You be quiet about it. Do not wake the baby. Well, I was in the lead now. I'd found the fisherman, and I knew now where the crate was located. I was all set for the home stretch. I looked up to judge the distance for my little leap back to the seawall. And suddenly I knew my lead was gone. There on the seawall, looking down at Tamarina and me, was Comrade Wagner. Come up here, Svetik. Sure. Give me a hand. You found the boat and the man, I see, Svetik. 
Uh-huh. Does he have the crate? Uh, no. Uh-uh. He hasn't? Then where... Who has it? Well, I'm... I'm not sure. Come on, let's walk. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, Oh, what is it, Damarina? You head for the wrong way, amigo. I told you my house is that way. Losing your sense of direction, Svetik? Come on. This is Tamarina. What do you want? I'm Matt Svetik. Uh, this is Mr. Wagner from the Oceanic Import Company. No, not a nothing today. It's imperative that we talk to you, madam. Shh. My baby is sleeping. We must talk to you now, right now. Por favor, senor, not so loud, eh? We just talked to your husband. It's about that crate of canned food he hauled in the other day. So? It is his, no? It belongs to our company, madam. We've come to claim it. Oh, nobody claim it. Pietro hauled it from the water in his snare. What's not yours? Well, let me explain, Mrs. Tamarino. That canned fish is bad. It's rotten. Spoiled. Bad? Why so bad? Bad. No good. Can't you understand that? Senor, if you wake my baby, I call, call a cop. You'll do nothing of the sort. You'll... Ooh, you, you... There, there you see you wake my baby. Adios, senoras. Go away, adios. Mrs. Tamarino, please. This is important. Adios, adios, adios. Go away, go. Madam, you're a fool. If you eat that canned stuff, you may kill your whole family. Huh? Eh? Kill, huh? A tuna fish is no good. It's poison. What? That's why we threw it to the bottom of the harbor. Food like that is dangerous. Oh. It's... What's wrong? Oh, my sister. I gave some of them to my sister. Will we never see the end of this chase? Where does your sister live? Oh, oh come. Come in. I, I must fix the baby. Uh, my sister, she lives down the street, right close to the bait shop. Por favor, senor, the baby. Svetik, stay here. I'll get the sister. No. No, you stay with Mrs. Tamarino. I can make it faster. You get along better with this woman. Just stay put. I'll be back. There was no time to argue now. I had to get away from Wagner in a hurry. I ran toward Mrs. Tamarina's sister's house, passed it, and kept right on running till I reached the bait shop. There was a payphone on the rear wall. I started dialing the local FBI office. But I realized that by the time they'd cover the distance, Wagner and the microfilms would be gone. Hello? Police headquarters? Oh, uh, senor, a policeman to my house. Hurry. I live at, at 221 Bay Shore, senor. A man is trying to steal from my house. Hurry, please. Eh? A name? Or me? My name is Tamorina. You got that? Pietro Tamorina. I knew the local police would find Wagner there, all right. But to make sure the evidence was found, too, I called the FBI and told them to follow through on Wagner's arrest. Once those microfilms were linked to Wagner... One more red would be erased from the commie spectrum. In a matter of minutes, the police car zoomed by the bait shop and stopped at the Tamarina home. 
walked away from the phone and turned inland, away from the shoreline. The fog was beginning to roll in from over the water. A soggy veil to hide the face of the waterfront. But this time, the fog was like a welcome friend. It gave me cover, obscurity, the security of darkness. For when you must wallow in treachery to defeat treachery, you learn to greet the gloom more readily. You walk more securely in darkness, as long as you walk alone. Turn in just a moment. This is Dana Andrews, ladies and gentlemen. It was Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, We want a state of things which allows every man the largest liberty compatible with the liberty of every other man. We have that state of things in America today. A hundred and fifty million definitions of the word liberty. One for every citizen of the United States and room for every one of them to flourish. That in itself is the essence of liberty. In the story you just heard, names, dates, and places are fictitious to protect innocent persons. Many of these stories are based on incidents in the life of Matt Savetic, who worked undercover for the FBI. Next week, another fantastic adventure. Join us then, won't you? I'm telling you, that is very dramatic music, Well, Lisa. this time I had a chance to very, hear it. Very, very dramatic. Treason comes in cans. Dana Andrews. On I Was a Communist for the FBI, November 23rd, 1952. Hope you enjoyed that.